What's up, everybody? Welcome to our podcast, Couldn't Make This Up If I Tried. I'm La Chancla. And this is Yesi. We are two first-gen Latinas. Chismeando about mental health and wellness. Keeping it lighthearted while, while keeping, keeping it real. In this episode, we are joined by Priscilla, a youth and family therapist who will be addressing what anxiety looks like in some of our communities. This is a part one of a two-part episode on this very complex Good afternoon, everybody. How are hey, you hey, doing? Hey. How are you doing? I'm okay. Today, today was a strange day. I had a weird morning, but everything's okay now. I got a new car battery today. Oh, nice. So now your car is <laughs> up and running. <laughs> it was is. it not working? It was, well, you know, the other day when I was at Baker and Spice, uh, <laughs> I tried to turn it on and it like stalled. So I was like, oh, no. But then I immediately thought the last time I went to go get it checked, it was the battery. So got that taken care of. Hey, um, making adult purchases. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it feels good when you buy like those because that those are expensive. It's not like they're like super cheap. Yeah, big time. Expensive. All right, so let's get. You want to get into the recap of last week? Let's week's do it. So Yessi and I talked about dating, um, mostly online dating, which has <laughs> been really interesting and it'll probably still be interesting. Anything anything new since then? Um, no, just a couple of my friends, I think, that had listened to the episode that were kind of surprised about me getting like anxious and really sick. I'm like, yeah, it happens to me all the time. But <laughs> other than that, it was I ha- my sister was listening to the episode, too. So that was a little weird. But I mean, <laughs> most of the things that I had talked to her about and then there was like maybe a story or two that she wasn't aware of. And she was like, what? That happened? Um, so that sounds interesting. <laughs> so fun. I think we're going to try to put together a part two for y'all. Uh, we have a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe we'll bring on um, some of our friends to talk about it. Yeah. Um, are you feeling excited about today? I'm feeling so excited, um, especially I think because we are beginning to bring our special guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is something that we had talked about doing for a while now, because um, I know even though you guys love listening to us, uh, <laughs> we want to bring other people that also can bring that expertise and stuff. But before we go into our guests, you also wanted to give a shout out to someone, right? Oh, I did. You're right. I really, really, really really wanted to give a shout out and huge thank you to the 1% of our listeners that are in Ireland. (laughs) We're going to Ireland after lockdown. (laughs) So whoever you are out there and then you're in Ireland, thank you for listening to us. Appreciate it. Angry at the pub. (laughs) You know, if you want to fly us out there once the pandemic is over, um, you know, La Chancla and I would be ready to jump on a plane and go to Ireland. So... (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Um, I totally forgot. Thank you for reminding me, even though I'm working hard at it. (laughs) Um, I think that one of the things I'm most excited about today is the topic. And I think it's definitely something that, um, although we talk about it like year round right now, it's definitely something I don't know how you feel. But for me, I feel like is at an all time high. And even when I'm like resting at my resting state, you know, it, it like, it'll heighten back up. So um, to, you know, kind of get into that, I want to introduce you to somebody real special to both (laughs) La Yesi and I. Um, I call her Priscilla, (laughs) (laughs) but she is a little bit of everything to us. um, And I'm going to let her kind of tell you a little bit more about um, who she is and, you know, why she jumped on the idea and on uh, of, you know, doing this episode with us. So without further ado, everybody give a, a little, you know, hand clap, air clap, round of applause to um, our friend, coworker, ally, Priscilla. Woohoo! You! <laughs> oh, well, I'm so excited to be on this podcast with you ladies. Um, Obviously, I've said it, we could talk all day, every day for hours, so might as well share the joy with your audience. Uh, So yeah, my name's Priscilla, and I'm a youth and family therapist for a school-based program in our community, Um, and I love my job, and I love working with these ladies as well. It's a super fun um, atmosphere to work in and a super fun job. 
I'm excited about it. I'm excited to share my profession with you and, and my story as well. Definitely. And we are so excited that you are going to be talking to us today about what anxiety looks like, not only for us, but also for our communities, um, especially right now that there is a lot of uncertainty just with everything going on around the world. And kind of like La Chancla said, um, it's almost like we have a ton of tabs open and we forget that it's okay to close some of those tabs and then we can always come back to them later on. Um, right now, it's harder to close the tabs is what I'm starting to realize. And I think it's because um, there there's nowhere to go <laughs> so I'm I'm kind of just you know here and and um closing those are harder but that's that's really why um it's something that is important to talk about because you're gonna learn we're we gonna learn today together <laughs> <laughs> different ways and you know just just wanting to let I think the biggest thing uh for me personally even on this podcast is just letting everyone know you know that you aren't alone and your feelings aren't you know uh, different though. They may be, they are unique, you know, because they're your feelings. Um, someone else is feeling them and, you know, maybe something that, you know, works for them will, you know, you can try it out and see if it works for you. Um, we're going to get a little bit into, uh, why Priscilla decided to go into why, uh, this profession, um, and, and talk a little bit about her, her backstory. So you all can get to know her. Um, I spent a lot of time um, asking myself this question, and um, I think throughout the years it's evolved my response. Um, and I'm happy to say that I'm in a good place. Um, you guys caught me at a good time in my life, so my response is pretty positive. <laughs> um, why did I pursue a career and a profession in uh, youth and family therapy? Um, most people, if my friends and family out there, shout out to you if you hear this, um, you know my story and you know that my teenage years were um, lots of fun, um, but they were also super rough. And um, having a story like that introduces you to amazing people in the world. Um, and those people um, are what I like to call helpers. Uh, my middle school counselor, she was an awesome support system. I I could think about her now that I talk about her right now. And she just uh, brings lots of warmth and uh, this feeling of healing uh, to myself and my heart. And um, she was there. She stepped it up and, and she listened to me. And she, um, she was the first person that probably listened to a lot of the things that I had to say as a teenager, which most people don't listen to teenagers. Um, she gave me lots of advice and she opened my mind to the realm of psychology um, she not only was my counselor and then um, later became my therapist, but she also educated me about the principles of psychology and therapy. And then later on, I became a mentor um, for her at her job. And so it was an awesome thing to do. And, and then as I grew older and I finished high school and I went into college, um, I always had this sense of paying it forward. I felt like society had provided so much to me, uh, my community especially, and um, they had provided so much help and support. And so I felt I had to give back. And that's why I committed to this profession. That's really awesome. And shout out to all the mentors out there, right? Because I think they show up in our lives in so many different ways that kind of like really make such a positive impact and really introducing you to um, what it would be like to become a mental health therapist or just mental health in general. Uh, so what a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I just really quickly wanted to add that I'm glad that you are where you're at, because I know that um, in our line of work specifically, when I'm talking to you, you said something that actually, you know, got me thinking about what you do. And you're right. Not a lot of people listen to teenagers. And and it's funny because when I'm talking to a teenager that I'm thinking, oh, you know what, they would totally like be able to connect and get, you know, like be heard by somebody like Priscilla and I, and I go and I'm like, let me introduce you to my friend. And they're like, I don't want to talk to her. I don't want to talk to her. And then like later I realize that they've, I'm like, just give her a shot, give her a chance. <laughs> and then later they like totally don't want to leave her alone. They're like, I'm waiting for Priscilla. I need to see Priscilla. <laughs> so that's great. And I think that that's something that you've always been really good at and is really fun to watch too. So, so I just wanted to give you that little, that little shout out. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah. And then especially too, because I think um, you have a story where like a lot of teens can definitely really relate to you, um, you know, because I think Sandra's right. I think a lot of the times, like as adults, we forget that we once were also teenagers. And sometimes we forget to become good listeners and then just be there, be present. Um, and that's one of the gifts I think that you do have with a lot of our kids. So I think that's why they really enjoy working with you. And this is why we were like, okay, we got to bring her in <laughs> and she can share a little bit of her expertise. Um, and, you know, like also like share that with our listeners. We know a lot about anxiety um, and what that looks like. So one of the things that, you know, I, I think when I began like doing therapy it was in grad school, one of the things that I remember my supervisor talking to me about is how it was different the way that we explain, explain anxiety and depression and like all these mental health disorders to our Latino community. So I'm just kind of like curious, like how would you explain anxiety uh, to our comunidad and um, how they vocalize it, right? Because I think it's very different than um, our um, our mainstream um, clients that you would normally see. So I'm just kind of curious to kind of like how that presents for you in your own practice. Yeah, so I'll give a little bit of backstory for the audience too. Um, I went to graduate school in Mexico City, which is an awesome blessing. And um, one of the biggest perks of having that opportunity was that I was able to practice being a clinician in Mexico, um, in Mexico City um, Comunidades like Tepito. So shout out to Tepito. Um, and Comunidades like uh, Zona Rosa. So shout out to my Zona Rosa community. And um, that, that experience gave me a lot of insight as to what it's like to work um, as a mental health um, clinician in our community because um, one of the first signs that I knew things were different in Mexico was that I was called La Doctora. You know, right off the bat, I had uh, clients come in and they would uh, start to talk to me like they were talking to their doctor. And I have really had to take a step back with them and be like, oh, antes de todo, no soy doctora. Soy una consejera, soy una terapeuta, pero no soy una doctora. Hay una diferencia muy grande entre las dos cosas. And, um, and I think that that's the first thing to note, that people in our community see us as something like a doctor, and they don't have a really great understanding about what mental health is and what psychology is, right? And so in ansiedad has a heavy stigma a very, very heavy stigma. And if we're talking about my work right now in our community, um, I talk to a lot of parents and a lot of youth. And usually the response to any word like, creo que tu hijo está, you know, I think he has some anxiety. And, and the families usually respond defensively or with fear. So, no, 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 mi, mi hijo no tiene ninguna enfermedad, like he's not sick, he doesn't need to be hospitalized, which is true, he's not sick and he does not need to be hospitalized. And then the other thing is fear, like, pues entonces que hago, hago una cita con el doctor, and it's like, whoa, wait just a second. Um, and so I think that that's the first response that I get. And I, and I think that that comes from Gracias a todas las novelas and, and all the películas out there that are showcasing um, psychology and psychiatry in such a different way that automatically our community is responding with fear and, and with defense. Right. I was just yeah. going to say that because I think it reminds me of that. That, mm -hmm. And I think like Sandra and I had talked about it before that how, it, you know, like in our community, we do watch a lot of novelas. We watch a lot of things where like um, mental health, like it's just portrayed in a negative way uh, where immediately people think they're going to be, you know, taken to a psych ward or <laughs> you're going to lose your mind. So it's like really portrayed like super negatively. Um, and I think, yeah, like along with, with what you're saying, it's it's just like the lack of uh, of knowledge and it's not because they don't want to know about it but I think there's just so much fear and so much stigma around it mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah. yeah so how do you um talk to the to the community about it um well one of my like biggest approaches um that I've adopted actually with this new job is um is to teach people and to teach family what mental health is um Before you kind, of, I think I would just like kind of dive in and start treatment, 
And then I realized that people weren't really understanding what mental health was. Um, and not just from our Latino community, but like all communities need a greater understanding. And so I teach it. Um, I do a lot of psychoeducation with families. I ask them questions like, what is mental health? What does it mean to you? How do you know about mental health? Where did you first learn about mental health? What do you know about anxiety? What do you think it is? Where do you feel it? How does it feel? Um, and I think opening the dialogue for that conversation, uh, it teaches people. It, you know, they're filled with lots of knowledge about it. We can have a conversation. It lightens up the mood a little bit. Um, and, and yeah, that's kind of how I approach it from a psychoeducation piece. Yeah. What are what are some ways that you feel like you know that without them telling you, like the families, that you know that they're like now being receptive or open to uh, going further into treatment? Because I know we've talked before where it's like, and, and and I don't know if you all have experienced that. I'm sure you have within your own families where it's like you can talk about it and you're like, yeah, yeah, I know, I understand. And then it'll still be like, no, like hard pass, you know, like I don't want to continue talking about this. Yeah. I think that, um, one of the like most amazing things about being, uh, a Mexican American clinician working in our community with, with the Latin population is that they have a sense of like, like there's that confianza, like right off the bat, it's like, you're part of my people, you're part of my community, you understand me. And so I work with a lot of families who come in with a lot of confidence and they, you know, they're making that decision. Like, you know what? Nah, this isn't for us. Our family doesn't need mental health services right now. Uh, we don't really want to buy into the mental health thing. Or there's families who, you know, have all that confianza and they're like, like we need your help. We need you to step in and, and help us out. And they keep coming back or they keep answering your phone calls or they keep reaching out for help. And so I think that that's like, that's the beauty of my job is that I get to work with our community and they're already right off the bat have confianza. Like, okay, she speaks our language. She understands my culture. I can say what I need to say and stand up for myself. So they give you that like nod from across the aisle, right? Like I see you, you mm -hmm. see me, like mm -hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. But yeah, exactly. I, and I do understand that part that you're saying that even though, you know, they, some do trust you, you have to kind of give them that, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like, well, if you don't want it right now, like I'll, I'll, I'll let you come to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And exactly. they always come back. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that's the other thing though, right? Because I think it's important to kind of let go of people's spaces and the, yeah, you're an expert, but you're not coming in as an, as an expert, right? You're coming in and really wanting to learn more about them and how to support them. Um, I think like, like I remember like when I did my internship, I was working with a lot of Latina female clients and I would come in as like a 20 some year old. And then they were kind of like, what do you know? How are you supposed to help me? Um, but I think after like what you were saying, like just building that trust and kind of like, hey, I'm here to support you. I'm, I'm, I'm not showing up here as an expert and telling you what to do, but I'm kind of like helping you navigate and for you to kind of like come up on those things on your own, kind of like with what you know, because, you know, the most important thing is that the client is the expert in their own life um, and then you're just helping them navigate that part. So I thought that was like a really cool thing. Um, but yeah, of course, there was always pushback. Um part like so many reasons right it's not just one thing uh but there there's also so many barriers right i think within our comunidad and it's not necessarily that sometimes some people don't want to get the help it's like the socioeconomics behind it too right like whether they might be insured or in, uninsured and then there's also like fears in our community if um if a client is undocumented right like the fear of like well are you going to be working with other people and sharing my information i think that's the the biggest thing too but you know just talking about those barriers like what do you see there are some of the barriers that kind of come up in our comunidad to kind of get those services uh yeah so i've i've identified a few um and they're limited cuz i feel like there's a lot um course, generational trauma and fear. Um, I think that's one of the first things I think of. Um, if you know me, then you know that I'm very passionate about a decolonization movement. And, um, and I think that there's a huge history of our, of our Latino community being colonized and these 
medical practices or these white man practices, unfortunately, have kind of traumatized our community, right? They've made them feel like what they what they know and what they feel and what they understand isn't the truth. And there's this like overarching bigger truth, right? And so I think with that and everything that's happened in, in the past in our communities, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of trauma. And so going into this field with, you know, la doctora, like I was saying earlier, is, is really like putting your guard down and opening yourself up to somebody, a stranger. Um, I have this conversation with, with my youth all the time. You're, you're coming into my office. I'm a strange person. I'm a strange woman. You've never met me before, right? And I'm asking you very personal questions. I'm asking you to tell me very personal things about yourself, about your life, about your family, And then I'm asking your family to come in and do the same thing. And I think that that puts a lot of families on edge, um, especially because we work in an institution and institutions also scare our community. Um, And then there's the lack of Latino scholars um, and clinicians and lack of Latino like driven information. Um, That was one of the biggest challenges and barriers in going to school in Mexico. You know, our our program was an American program. It was run by a white guy. And a lot of the the work that we were reading and that we were studying was coming from, you know, white people, white dudes. And that was hard to apply to Mexican families in Tepito and Sonora. So like, how do I apply? I love Carl Rogers. Rest in peace, Carl. I love you. But how do I apply Carl Rogers ideas to our Mexican families, like they just, it just doesn't work. And so I, I want our youth and I want our young college students like Sandra to be motivated, go to school, you know, get an education and study the heck out of what it's like to be a Latino and what mental health means in our community so that we can kind of shorten that gap, make it smaller, right? Um, accessibility and equity. I think that's a big problem. Um, I would be inspired to get together with my chicas over here and create a Latino health center um, so that people in our community could feel that confianza in coming in and opening up. I feel that um, there's a lack of that. There's a lack of like Latino driven wellness centers um, around the world really. And then, um, you know, luckily my service is free. Don't tell everybody that. Um, So pro bono services are amazing because the community can reach out to those services. But if they're not, mental health is expensive. You know, without insurance, you're, you're paying a lot of money to see somebody and talk to somebody about your mental health needs. That's hard. Um, and lastly, the, the limited connection to our roots. And I think that has a lot to do with like the first and second question or my first and second response, the, the generational trauma and the lack of Latino scholars. But really, there's, there's very few people in the history of mental health who have written stuff down and who have educated um, people about mental health. And so there's this like very little to no connection to the roots, right? Um, people that I work with are, you know, they're Christians and they're Catholics mostly. And, and that's like the, the way that I could reach them through mental health. You know, they bring, uh, Dios into the room. He's there, he's present. I've been introduced to Jesus in sessions as well. And, um, and I think that that's where, where we create connection and where we, um, where we fight stigma and we fight barriers. So, there are challenges that um, I, I see and that I'm inspired by. And I know that my community is as well. Also, like the, there's a generational difference, right? Mm-hmm. If you are like first gen immigrant um, or just first gen in general, you're more likely to be open to the idea of like, oh, maybe therapy or finding like support or help could be something that it, it's attainable versus our parents' generation where that was not an option or something that was really talked about. Because um, I can think, for example, and I don't know for you guys, but like I can think of my parents, right? I mean, there's been times like, I think like when my grandma passed away that my mom, I think she was pretty depressed, but she was not open to like really talking about it. Um, and then I remember when we went to the doctor to initially um, like, hey, like, 
we should kind of see what's going on because you've been experiencing all these things. And this is like way prior to me going to school for, for that. Right. Um, my mom was just kind of like, no, I'm fine. Like things will be okay. And the doctor prescribed some medication. Right. Um, and she was fine, but I think it would have made such a big difference if she would have been able to talk about like, Hey, I just had like a really huge loss. And I'm sure maybe you guys have experienced that in your own families too. Like even like as a professional for you and you're in like to like talking to them about mental health in general is kind of like, ah, yo no necesito hablar de eso. You know, I'm fine. <laughs> Don't try to therapize me. <laughs> I vocalize that a lot. We're in my family um, lately. And you said something that really um, kind of hit home where it was like, even though you're talking about it, because like the whole generation thing, right? I spent a few years, I think that I've been on this, like, hey, we really have to take care. How are you going to take care of the rest of your body if you're not okay, you know, like mentally or like, uh, and and to me, I think the the heart and the mind, right, are really connected. And that's the, the one thing I've like tried to focus on. And um, se ha prestado más, like my mom, of anybody in my family to kind of talk about those things. But even then, like you're saying, right, when you have access to education and like, I've even tried to push her to go back to school, which thank you for that little motivational call out there. Cause I, right now is, I think the most that I've needed something like that to really feel, you know, um, to even just want to do my homework. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, in, in talking to my mom and her being somebody that wants to learn, I still get met with resistance um, when, you know, offering to, to shop around for like a therapist with her, you know, because unfortunately, like you said, in this, especially in our area, a lot of the mental health professional out there, I know. So it's like everything would be, you know, like either a conflict of interest or when I want to, you know, look for something with her, she kind of is like, no, 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 no. You know, like I'm not ready. So it, it's kind of right now that's, that's the struggle for us. It's like um, trying to pinpoint when we are ready to go in and like look for that help. Because especially like when you're thinking about their generation and when you were talking about that, that asking for help piece, even for things here at home, right? Like how many of us are like, well, this is maybe just a personal experience, but I was telling a, a friend how, uh, you know, my mom often says, you know, and I, and, and I, I've heard it before from other moms, like nobody helps me, like no one's offering to help me. And then like, you kind of jump in there and I get met with like, Mr. Torbas, <laughs> like, oh, boys, all right. You know? So it, it's kind of just meeting, waiting to kind of see, where we're at and when we're able and willing to take take the help I guess is what I was talking you're trying to talk about in that in that aspect as far as like a barrier sometimes you know where we are definitely our own worst enemies and I know even like myself for shopping for a therapist lately I've been having a really hard time doing that because with insurance like you said I unfortunately don't have the means to look for one you know outside of my insurance and it is like it's been pretty, it's been a task. I'm still looking. I haven't given up, but you know, it, it, it's, it's been, a, it's been a ride. Yeah. I think uh slim pickings out there for, for finding clinicians. Um, I'm inspired to find a clinician um, with a Latino background. I have, have yet to have one. Um, I've had a lot of Jewish clinicians or therapists, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think having a, a perspective from a Latino and like having someone hear me and really understand what I'm saying when I talk about the things about my family and, and, you know, being in a bicultural relationship and, and being uh, Mexican and American, you know, like Selena's dad said, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be Mexican and, and it's hard to be American. Um, but yeah, also just like that one last piece about the generational stuff, like, when when your parents are so deeply I see this a lot of my work when your parents are so deeply rooted in tradition and like your your parents know best and and then if your parent you know if before your parents God knows everything and he's there to help you out and then if you're you know when when you tried God and it didn't work then your parents got you or your family's got you so there's no need to bring in the clinician but, but we do, we have our first gen, second gen, third gen teenagers, and they're ready. Like they want to do it. They want to engage in therapy and their families are just, their families struggle with the idea because, you know, 
Primero, ¿por qué no te vas a la iglesia todos los domingos? Vamos a misa. And then after you try that a little bit, spend, you know, ¿por qué no ayudas en la casa? It always has to do with like, why aren't you helping out enough with the house, right? Um, and then maybe, maybe we'll think about letting you do therapy. Um, so the struggle is real out there for our, our youth, but we're here and, and we're trying our best. Absolutely. I think definitely um, for a lot of our communities of color, um, specifically for us, for the Latino community that we work with, um, even when they're trying to um, seek to be engaged in therapy, um, just uh, like you said, the slim pickings can be very hard. I remember when coming out of grad school and like um, as a therapist, like it was such a cool thing to have my clients and tell me like, Hey, this is like so huge for me. Like I've never talked to anyone before. And then like, even like if you are not from the same state that I am from Mexico, but the fact that you understand my culture, that you could speak my language, that you understand like, like my slang words that I'm trying to tell you. And you're like, you don't even question me what that, what is that? And you can relate to that. That was huge for me. Right. And then just those little things that I was like, Oh my, oh my God, like I, I never really thought about that. Right. Until like I went to grad school school but yeah like so if there's anybody out there that is considering <laughs> going to school to become a therapist or even like maybe your therapy is not your thing but like even like helping clients navigate that world I think it's huge right like whether it's the medical field mental health like any of those like jobs where like we normally don't see anyone that may look like us that's a huge thing so if anybody's still in the fans I'm <clears throat> Sandra <laughs> <laughs> We just want our community to be well. Yes. <laughs> right. So anything, anything. If we're all well, we're thriving. Nutriologas and like nutritionists, definitely. I think that, you know, when we when we have our, our dream wellness center, I definitely want, you know, somebody to talk to our community about that, especially because a lot of our communities, you know, live in few or are in the middle of a food desert. Right. You know, like I think we had that conversation before when like my heart totally broke when, you know, we shared a piece of Whole Foods cake with some of our kids and they're like, where's Whole Foods? What is Whole Foods? And I'm just like, my little babies. <laughs> so I want that to be available to them I, or maybe not even Whole Foods, but for them to, you know, have the knowledge or have the tools to put together something healthy and be well. Yes, ladies, we're going to make this work. One day we're just gonna have our wellness center. We'll have to come up with a cool name, so stay tuned. Um, since on that topic of wellness, because I feel like there are a lot of words that we're gonna hear. Um, you'll you'll hear us talking about that you're hearing a lot more that are kind of like buzzworthy or like buzzwords. Um, but what are trends you're seeing in the Latino Latinx community um, right now, as far as like therapy, anxiety, mental health, anything, all of it encompasses. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I think I said that uh, Latinx is trending, um, hot buzzword, right? Um, but there are um, a few that I would like to name. So there's the, um, the decolonization movement. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to my favorite cookbook, if I can, Decolonize Your Diet. Um, awesome group of people. Um, they're from San Jose and they've developed this cookbook to help us reconnect to our roots. Um, there's so much to say about um, Latin, like the food, the culture of our food and what it was like before um, our beloved Spaniards came and conquered us. Um, what, what did we have with, you know, all the stuff that we had before they came over because they brought a lot of stuff over too. Um, and how we can use those foods, cook those foods, and incorporate this idea of wellness and health into our lives. Um, so I have a really big emphasis on my, uh, wellness, and I think it starts with the body. Um, actually, I think it starts with the gut. So I think that like if your belly is healthy and it's feeling good, then your entire being is feeling good. You're feeling well. And so if we could connect to foods like quinoa and frijoles and chiles and elote, then, um, then yeah, we're feeling great. And we're taking care of anxiety and depression without meds or anything else. Um, I also love some people on Instagram. Obviously, La Yesi La Chancla are making moves, and I'm really excited about that. Um, 
But there's also some great other groups putting out some amazing content like Latinx therapy, um, bringing in some awesome people, bringing people together um, so that we can change the stigma about therapy in our community. Um, Latinx parenting, talking a lot about generational trauma and how we can approach um, wellness from a generational trauma perspective to really heal our inner child and then also become better mothers and fathers. Um, Kitchen Curandera, she's an awesome curandera on Instagram, and she's bringing in all these hierbas that we need in our body and that we need for our soul. And then there's also these chicas se regalan dudas. They're amazing. They're talking about hot topics in our community, uh, much like you ladies, and um, they're bringing them to the surface with special guests. So I think they're great. And I think that there's this like really deep thing that happens when you connect to your roots, you connect to who you are, right? Finding like, who am I? Who am I in this world? Finding your purpose. That is also another like the basis of mental health for me and wellness. Um, and gratitude. Gratitude is trending. Um, Thinking about people that I work with professionally, my personal life, my virtual life, there's just a lot of like muchas gracias going around um, from everybody. I'm having parents um, that I work with uh, end sessions saying thank you, like really just going above and beyond saying thank you. I've had families offer me caldo de res, um, tacos de tuetano. They don't know I'm not a meat eater, but they're offering it. And I almost want to say, si, por favor, gracias. Um, but there is just so much gratitude going around. And I think that that idea also is about wellness. And, and that if we can incorporate just being grateful and, and giving thanks, then we're living in like the right here, right now. I'm not worried about what's happening with COVID-19. I'm not worried about it because I'm grateful about where I am right here and right now. You brought a great point, like just being grateful, right? Because I think a lot of the times we focus a lot on the negatives on the things that are happening and and we forget to be here in the now and really just acknowledging that we have a lot of uh, cool things going for us, whether it's friends, family, uh, professional life. Um, and it just reminded me like when you're talking about like the parents trying to offer you the tacos de tuetano and all that, which tuetano have not had in a long time. <laughs> but it just reminded me. What is that? It's like the bone uh, marrow. Is a bone marrow? Oh, okay. And, uh, it's like I, I don't know if it's like super popular in Mexico City. Maybe I think mm -hmm. so. So in Mexico City, we don't waste any animal anything. <laughs> Everything goes. Um, Is that like really chewy part? It's not chewy. It's come on like watery. It almost tastes like flan. Well, not tastes like flan, but it's like the flan like. <laughs> Like, does it taste like flan? Like, no, no, it doesn't taste like flan. <laughs> it's like, I want to say, like, it has a, a flan texture, like, just like the the soft, like, because it says in tu boca. Okay, anyway. okay but I'm going to look those up because yeah. I, I've never heard of it. Yeah. I'm a pescatarian, pero se, está mas, se me está haciendo agua la boca no, from know. talking about it. It's so good. And it's so good for you. So if you could get your hands on tuetano. Yeah, okay, it might be hard to find around here. Maybe if you go to a carniceria and tell your carnicero que te de tuetano. <laughs> I'll ask him. And I yeah. think that you touched on something that I do love that's really beautiful about our community yeah. that we kind of talked about the other day is that like we don't always vocalize the emotion or the like the feeling, but we are very we're showers, you know, like we definitely show love language. <laughs> and and I remember, you know, like I've gotten albondigas before, we've gotten um, mm -hmm. you know, a, a pan. Um, just so good. Oh yeah, I had a family the the dad goes, Yo, yo le debo a usted unos tacos. And it was like a year after I had helped him with something, and I'm like, Oh my god, you remember that, you know. <laughs> So I think that that was really, that was really fun. You reminded me, you know, of all those things that our families do um, to express their gratitude. Right. And that's also like another, like you were talking about the beautiful part of the culture. Um, I remember this year when I was working with kids, sometimes like kids would show up in my office and I would be eating something. And I always think it's rude to like be eating when like there's people and they're not offering something, <laughs> but that's just me. Um, 
because that's what my parents taught me. And then I would I always tell kids like, oh, you can have a piece of my bread or you can have this and you can have that. And people will be like, but I'm eating your breakfast. I'm eating your lunch. I'm like, it's fine. Like, whatever. There's enough for like both of us. So then kids sometimes would come and they would just sit in my chair and would be looking at my food. I'm like, oh, you want some? Okay, cool. Let's have some. <laughs> We're just givers, you know, natural givers and nurturers. So I think it's part of the culture, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that was great. Thank you for sharing that, like all those like um, Instagram handles. I'm going to definitely have to follow some of them. <laughs> I knew about Latinx therapy and Latinx parenting, but I definitely want to go and follow the kitchen curandera. Hell I know. Yeah. I love nice. curanderas. Um, but yeah, so the other thing that we had talked about um, that, you know, like with the anxieties that everybody's sort of feeling has been Corona dreams. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen their articles out there. I think my parents also saw it in Primer Impacto somewhere out there, you know, but they make it sound super scary. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's just the music from Primer Impacto and they're so scary. Los sueños de Corona. <laughs> <Just like that. laughs> so no, it's not us dreaming about drinking Coronas, although I'd be, that'd be a nice dream. It's just like <laughs> dreams that we have. Um, they're scary as hell or like things that you never saw happening and all of a sudden they feel like very vivid, very real. And yeah. I think there's been like articles written about that, uh, that we were talking about how all of us have experienced Corona dreams <laughs> in this last couple of uh, weeks. I have a few. I think I, I the one that I shared with you guys, though, was the one where we went on lockdown at our place of employment and like the military came and I was like, what on earth? It was it was pretty scary because it was like that fear that you feel like in real life when something like that is happening. I totally felt. But um, I, I realized and because one of our students actually asked that one day and Jessica and I were like, no, because <laughs> we didn't want to like freak him out. But he goes, yeah, man, I'm having like really weird nightmares. And so and I we had just talked about that before yeah. the meeting started. <laughs> yeah. And that's why we like looked into it because we were like, oh, my God, totally. But it was something about like the one that I read and I'll find the article, too. It was on. Uh, one on NBC and one through Oregon Live, but they were talking about, you know, when your REM, your REM sleep, which is like your deep sleep, the one where you get the most rest. There's one or two things. Either you're having crazy Corona dreams because you're sleeping and you're sleeping deeper for longer, which is why everything is like super vivid. Or you're not dreaming at all because you're, you know, your sleep schedule is just that, you know, messed up because we're all we're all on a, on a weird clock right now. Everyone's clock is a little off. Um and, and that's what I thought was interesting. And I'm like, well, no wonder, you know, I've had those feelings where I feel like I'm sleeping, but I'm not. And it's like real. And like sometimes my dream and my quote unquote dream will take place in my room where I'm at, but I'm sleeping. But it, it's so gnarly to like explain, but it, it's weird. Yeah, and definitely like my sleep has been off. I've noticed that too, that sometimes like I think what you were saying, it's just like I'm laying in bed and I'm like, oh, I'm so tired, but I cannot fall asleep. And then like, I think maybe like 20 or 30 minutes go by and I fall asleep and I wake up like an hour later. So it's kind of like on and off, on and off. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sorry, ladies. I sleep like a bear. Uh, <laughs> I've been told that by... Uh, <laughs> By many people and uh, I'm just an also osa at heart and uh, my sleep has been great <laughs> I I think that I, I've been reflecting on corona a lot lately uh, I think I'm romanticizing um, this time so I I, have, I deal with a lot of anxiety in, in my life and I felt like in the beginning like this this definitely triggered some hardcore anxiety but I've had to uh, step up the self-care and, and really work through through my tools to get myself in a good place and and I guess where I'm at is in this like apocalypse romance <laughs> uh, so uh, Brian and I have been watching a lot of zombie stuff and end of the world stuff and and are we're just getting mentally ready for whatever <laughs> happens whatever comes our way we're coming uh, to your house in yes yes oh, yeah really. let's not put that out publicly but yes <laughs> <laughs> come over we'll be ready to go um, this can't I, come over only us <laughs> <laughs> 
No one else is invited. (laughs) You guys don't know where she lives. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But I've been sleeping like 10 to 12 hours, um, definitely hitting that deep REM. Um, And yeah, you're right, Sandra. Most nights I wake up and I feel like I was somewhere on an adventure and I was not sleeping. Uh, I was killing zombies. (laughs) I was driving big trucks. Um, And maybe it's just my mind and body's way of, of combating the anxiety while I'm asleep. Like they're, they're both going into like high gear and saying, we got this Priscilla, we're prepared. Everything's going to be okay. But they have been pretty lucrative. You just gave me hope for the future. (laughs) I'm hoping I'm on that part of the roller coaster where I'm about to come down from my high anxiety. Um, because I'm like really working at it, especially like with school. I think that's been the most, the thing that's made me the most anxious this time because uh, I'm a horrible online student. Horrible, terrible. I like need to have a physical building. I need to have a physical assignment that I am turning in to like feel motivated to do it. So it, it was one of those things where this week, I definitely took time to like rip off those band-aids and because because they're being extremely flexible. They really are. Like I could literally wait. I'm not going to, but I could literally wait until the day. <laughs> if I want to, I could. <laughs> and, and turn everything in, but I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. And so I finally got myself into one of those places, which is why right now that you said that you're like romanticizing it. I pictured myself at that very like top part of the roller coaster. And I'm like, I'm coming down. It's going to be better <laughs> here really soon. <laughs> Sooner than later. <laughs> I don't know where I'm in the roller coaster. I think I'm still way down because <laughs> I'm not having 10 to 12 hours of sleep. <laughs> I want that, but I don't know where I'm at. <laughs> I'm gonna send you some of that calm stuff. Orale, pues. Pero me lo yeah. mandas because yo me necesito calmar sooner than later. <laughs> well, maybe on uh, the next episode, I'll, I'll be daring enough to share um, my little herramienta box of self-care because it's pretty it's pretty big there's a lot that goes into it but um yeah I think that's what's what's helped me be a bear yeah. in my sleep <laughs> I love it yeah I, I'm sorry I totally skipped out in the beginning that I forgot to tell y'all that this is this is a part one of a part of a two-part um episode that we're doing so it is going to be a little different I'm so excited because I love talking to both of these ladies and like Priscilla said like hours and hours we could be here <laughs> really wanted to um but I, we we want to make sure that you know we squeeze Priscilla for everything she's got. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna make it a like two. a good limon. There like you a, go. You know the yes. You're the limon to our sopa. <laughs> Do so, eat something with a limon after this. Mm, that's uh, good me. Well, we usually close out, you know, by saying the the things that we're obsessed with. And if you want to share anything, any little little tidbit from your um from your toolbox or anything at all. You just, you did just kind of tell us that you were um, watching a lot of zombie, zombie stuff. Yeah. I love zombie stuff right now. Um, It's helping. um, I don't know how it's helping. I haven't really gotten behind the science of it. Maybe I'll know next time, Um, but it is helping romanticize this strange, strange time. Um, And then, like I said, so many tools in the box for self-care that I've learned over the years to be helpful for me. Um, but I'd love to close with one, if that's okay. Yeah. You guys down? Yeah. So I have this book. Um, I'm shouting out so many people today. Um, it's called Meditaciones Toltecas para el Día a Día. And it's from Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. He's um, the one that wrote The Four Agreements, Los Cuatro Apegos. Um, and I think that this book is amazing. I actually got this book my, when I first moved to Mexico City, and it was super helpful for me. Um, so I'm going to read one to you today. Does that sound good? This is so exciting. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. So this is a good one. No te apegues a la perfección. Mi padre me decía, Miguel, cuando comprendas que eres perfecto, Tal como eres, verás que todo es perfecto, tal como es. 
pero no es fácil despertarte un día y decir que eres perfecto y creértelo. Hacer un cambio tan grande exige motivación y compromiso. Abandona primero cualquier idea falsa sobre la perfección. Cualquier apego a lo que creas que significa ser perfecto. Y luego deja de juzgarte por no estar a la altura de tus expectativas y acéptate tal como eres en este instante. Aprender a quererte y dar las gracias cada mañana por el hecho de estar vivo es la forma de empezar a hacerlo. Practica. Deja lo que estés haciendo y dedícate ahora a quererte y respetarte. Eres perfecto tal como eres porque estás vivo en este instante. I love that. Yay! It really yeah. kind of speaks to like just self-acceptance and like really like kind of honoring where you're at and not to seek uh, perfection because you're already perfect in your own way. Right. Um, I think that's beautiful because I think we yeah. tend to forget that. I mean, we tend to be like really hard on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing. That was beautiful. Yeah, definitely. I think right now there's a lot of a lot of different strange things happening in the world um, with people. But I am seeing a lot of people push themselves and and be hard on themselves and, and judge themselves like I'm not doing enough and I don't know this and I don't know that. And and like, you know. I guess another way I'm romanticizing this time is that it is an opportunity to like really just scale back, slow down and chill out um, to really check into yourself and, and, and notice that like, yeah, waking up in the morning and telling yourself that the day is perfect and you are perfect and there's nothing you can and that you will do to change it. I think it's a good way to start your day. I love it. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share that. Thank you for coming and having this conversation, a very necessary conversation. Absolutely. Well, um, you guys, on that note, we're going to close part of episode, well, one of two. So episode one Yay. is done. Woo! Priscilla, you made it through. <laughs> I made it through. Yay. So you guys stay tuned. Um, in the next episode, we will be talking about self-care and what that looks like for us in our lives. And uh, Priscilla is going to share a lot more tips. So if you like this episode, which I know all of you guys did, uh, <laughs> please go ahead and listen to episode two.